Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I am Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, part two of Andrea Yates. Tonight is crime and no wine, correct? Yes, crime and no wine. We drank all of our wine for we Andrea Yates' wine, case. Um, it was good, though. It was wonderful. <laughs> okay, babe, I thought we wouldn't waste no time and jump right into part two. Does that sound okay to you? Yes, let's jump right in. All right, friends. Well, you sip some wine and we'll talk some crime. Chris, last week we covered part one of this sad case. And so now we are in part two. In part one, I really wanted to give people out there just a glimpse into what Andrea was going through at the time, the family dynamic. We're going to talk here in a little bit. Family and friends were very concerned about Andrea Yates. Um, Later on, I'm also going to discuss Andrea's best friend, Chris. Mm -hmm. She ended up testifying at her trial. Very surprised she had any friends given the way she was the condition. She well, this well, she actually met this girl back when they were both nurses at MD Anderson. Uh, I see. And she shared a lot with this woman. Um, but this is the kind of friend that everyone should have. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Okay. Um, we ended part one just discussing the day Andrea killed her children. Soon after her husband, Rusty, left for work, Andrea Yates fed her children breakfast and filled the bathtub with water and drowned her children one by one as her siblings ate their breakfast. This one was, this is hard to do. I'll have to say, I was, I was researching and, and um, getting prepared for part two. And I, I think when I read so much of this all the time, you sort of become um, a little used to it. I guess numb. Numb. I don't want. I don't. I wouldn't say numb because I cried when I was putting this together. Um, but you just because it just is a. It's part. It's things that happen in life, right? The tragedies, and um, but when I'm when I'm thinking about five children sitting around a table, one is six months old, sitting in a high chair. Um, and the mother is, you know, 20 feet away, taking them each individual one by one into the bathroom. That's a, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard to, thing to think about. No doubt. Okay. Um, so they're all eating breakfast. She drowns her three youngest sons first and places them side by side, Chris, on the bed and covers them up. The seven-year-old, who is the oldest, he walks into the bathroom when she's drowning the six-month-old. And he confronts his mom. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of realizes what's going on. He takes off running. She chases him through the house. And she pulls him into the bathtub and drowns him next to his sister who's floating in the water. She never takes him out of the bath. She takes her out of the bath, puts her in the bed with the three, covers all four of them up, and her son, um, her oldest, is in the bathtub. Uh, at the trial, they showed a picture of him floating in the bathtub, and she broke down. They said that she had a a full breakdown when when they showed his picture mm-hmm. and his body in the bathtub. Um, Andrea calls 911 
after all of this happens and ask the police to come to the house. So, Chris, let's go ahead and play that 911 call. After she calls 911, she calls Rusty at work and told him he needed to come home. Rusty would later tell the court that he was so concerned by the tone of her voice that he asked her if anyone was hurt, and she responded yes. It was the children, all of them. So notice in the 911 call, she says her sister is there. So when police arrive on the scene, there are no adults in the home. Andrea is the only, only adult in the home. When a police officer arrives and asks her what is wrong, she immediately tells him, I killed my kids. So they go into the bedroom and they find four of her deceased children in the bed covered up. And like I mentioned, Noah, the oldest, is still in the bathtub. Chris, there is a 90-minute confession tape showing Andrea Yates talking about how and why she killed her children. There are have only been a few people who have actually seen this 90-minute confession tape, but I read um, from one of the people who've actually seen it. They describe it as chilling. They describe it as... Um, removing themselves from reality. She was completely removed, it seemed like, from reality. I mean, I'm just, you know, trying to just picture all of this and just take it all in. They said she was just so calm when they came to the house, as though she just... Yeah, it was probably pretty creepy for the first responders. Yeah. I mean, how do you... We're going to talk, the police officer who responded and, and actually spoke with Andrea at the house, he testified um, in the, he testified in the trial. Um, so when one of, one thing she did say in the confession tape that they did reveal was that she told detectives they weren't developing properly. But then later after her arrest, she talked to her brother and told her brother that Satan was living inside of her. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking we would get back to. Satan? Yes. Oh, this whole thing is about Satan. Yeah. And in your mind, um, and I'm going to, she, I, something else she brings up to her friend that I'm going to talk about. She asked her how she, what she thinks about Satan. Okay, so let's talk about the trial. Okay, we know she's arrested, right? She's arrested for on, on the spot for killing her five kids. So she's sitting behind bars in 2001 on a capital murder charge for the murder of the five. So the first witness in the trial testified, so this was the police officer. He testified when he arrived at the home. Um, the, she just answers the door. She's breathing heavily, but she's not erratic or, or you know, acting crazy. She's just breathing heavily She's soaked with water. Her hair is drenched. Um, she said he. The police officer says she looks right at him, and he tells her, "You know, she tells him I killed my kids." 
as like he's standing in the doorway. Then she says it again. She repeats herself to him again. So this police officer, his name is Detective Knapp, says Yates led him to the master bedroom where the bodies of the four were laid out on the bed. And as he's questioning her, he says she shows absolutely zero facial expression. Mm. It's almost like you're talking through her, not to her, right? Um, And he said her voice was just very monotone. You can hear this in the 911 call too. It sounds very deep and just flat. Okay, Debbie A. Holmes, that is the person that everyone should have a friend like Debbie who met Yates when they were both nurses at MD Anderson. So she takes a stand and told the court that she and Andrea were so close they were like sisters. So Andrea told her and shared a lot with her. In in fact, in 1999, she helped take care of the kids while Andrea was recovering from a suicide attempt. Um, she's in a psychiatric hospital recovering from that suicide attempt. So she tells the court that after a few days of Andrea being home, she asked her, you know, why are you so depressed? And her question back to her friend was, do you think Satan can read my mind? And she also asked her if she believed in demon possession. I'm surprised she stayed friends with her. She was, I think she knew she was sick. That's, scary. That's just kind of scary talk, you know. I mean. It's scary. And you can see it in her eyes. I mean, it's, you know, for two years before the Yates children were killed, listen to this. Holmes had kept a diary chronicalizing Andrea Yates's condition in case something bad happened. That's the kind of friend you should have. Someone who actually keeps a journal about your illness and and wanting to make sure you're okay and just just in case something a day like this comes. I mean, that's how ill people that's thought she was. Into evidence, I presume. Now, I don't know if the actual journal itself fully was um, admitted into evidence, but she talks about what she chron- what she wrote down. And, and what she made notes of. In fact, she calls Rusty. She calls Rusty crying. He, she tells the court, I'm crying. I'm sobbing. I'm telling him she needs help now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. She needs help now. And he would tell her, I'll look into it. And she would say... She's not going to make it through tomorrow. She won't make it through this weekend. She won't make it to next month. She needs help now. Holmes told the court Rusty Yates considered child care a woman's responsibility and refused to help his wife tend to the children. She said, quote, I'm not saying he didn't play with them or enjoy them, but as far as care for them, he didn't. If the kids' faces or hands were dirty, he'd say, wait till your mother comes. Which is why, and explains why he was so dismissive of all of this. And I'll tell you what, Rusty Yates blamed a lot of people, but he never blamed himself. He tried to sue psychiatric hospitals after this. He tried to sue her doctors. He tried to sue everyone because his wife was sick. And he said that the doctors are to blame and that if she would have got the proper help, then this would never have happened 
But yet not one time have I seen or read anything where Rusty says, I could have done better. Yeah, and she didn't actually follow any of the help that they offered her. Yeah. Or was it, and, and did he help telling like having her more kids having more like kids? That. And I'm going to read you something I, I, I touched on in part one that her first psychiatrist wrote down. And this is also was put into evidence. Um, now, Rusty Yates completely dismisses um, Andrea's friend from everything she has to say. And he basically said that him and his wife were partners and they made all major marital decisions together. He also told the jury that his wife had never told him about the voices and visions she claimed had led to the killings. Not once. Not once, huh? Yeah. Well, nobody's believing that. So. Well, and here's another thing. I don't think I mentioned this in part one, but I do you believe her very first suicide attempt was at her parents' house because the only reason she survived because her mother got to her fast enough to get her to the hospital so they could pump her some stomach. She took 40 trazodones. Mm. 40 trazodones. She was lucky to make it through that. The prosecution called multiple witnesses, but the testimony that has been publicized, Chris, as the nail in the coffin for Andrea Gates com- came from a Dr. Park Dietz. Dr. Park Dietz was a California or is a California psychiatrist who was also a consultant on law and order. Do you remember this? This was a big not. part of her case. So he testifies for the prosecution And he testified that Andrea killed her children the way she killed them had a striking resemblance of an episode of Law and Order. He testified that the episode ran before the drownings occurred. But here's the problem, Chris. There was actually no such episode that actually existed. Surprised they even had a TV for her to even watch this. I mean, so that's the thing. The prosecution, that was their whole. Now, I'm glad you said that because their whole thing was she binged the show. She always watched this show. This was like the only show she watched. Nobody, I mean, whether there was, I I mean, I didn't like actually watch the whole trial. There is a lot of law and order on every day. Sure. But during the Yates' trial, prosecutors explained that one thing, that she avidly watched this show, that she was obsessed with this show. And because of this, because of this testimony, they believed the jury, this is why they rejected the insanity defense in the first trial was because of this testimony right here. And he wasn't even right. A ch- a, a episode didn't even exist in the retrial in her retrial. The pr- they called him and he basically said, I made a mistake. Yeah. There was no episode like that. Crazy. Yates was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. She would have had to spend 40 years before um, being eligible for parole. But um, that uh, that conviction was overturned three years later. And so in 2006, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And she should be. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. She's very, she's ill, you know, long-term, long-term ill. Um, so she was released from prison, right? After 2006, and she was committed to a mental hospital where she remains today. 
Um, her husband at the time, Rusty Yates, had told Time Magazine that the two of them had always planned on having a big family, but demons took hold of his wife. I just want to tell you, Chris, if I ever go, <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> I, can, I don't know. Maybe I can't hear you. Maybe I can't see you. But you don't know, and I don't know. But listen to what he says about his, about his wife, who is now spending the rest of her life in a psychiatric institution because of her own free will. We'll talk about that in a second. But how dare he? Your demons took hold of his wife. The Bible says the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. I look at Andrea and I think Andrea was weak. What's this guy doing these days? He actually got remarried not long after he divorces her. He le- he divorces her after this. He gets remarried and I do believe his now ex-wife filed for divorce in 2017. And he had, a, he had a, a boy, a little boy with her. Hmm. So he also says, think about a field of deer. And there's one limping around. And that's kind of the way I see it. Andrea was weak and he attacked her. Well, something got into her. I mean, you know. Yeah. Was it him and the way they lived that made her crazy? Was this hereditary? I mean. There were multiple people who went to Russell Yates and said, you know what? I think your wife living in a bus with four children. Oh, I I think that would drive anybody crazy. I'm just saying. Do you know what I mean? But I think it's all of it. She, I was looking at all the years that she had these kids. She had no time to heal. She had no time to just, you know, it's like she was constantly pregnant one after the one and then another. And she, her, her, I mean, I don't know that I don't I don't have that many kids. I don't know what that does to you, but I can imagine that, you know, that's zero time for yourself. Zero. And he doesn't make it any easier. He doesn't ever give her a break. She needs to be watching the kids. I mean, is anybody surprised he ran off that morning to work and left her for that hour and was just hoping his mom would be there? He wanted out of there. And that's what is just so frustrating about this case with him is he it just he just wasn't listening. I don't know. Whether he didn't care, whether he didn't understand, whether it was more important for him to follow the Bible and for her to be a certain way and forget the mental, mental illness. God will take care of your mental illness. You know, Jesus will take care of you. You'll, you'll heal that way. I mean, I, I'm assuming that's what he thought. He never seemed to really take it as seriously as some of, as some of her friends and close people, you know, close people were. Okay. Um so he stood by her, though, Chris, through the trial. But like I mentioned, he did later um, divorce her. He said in multiple interviews that um, if she had received competent psychiatric care, their children would be alive today. But they didn't believe in that, though. That's what I'm saying. Again, he, there's just nothing he ever did wrong. It's, was it, it, was all, it was everyone else. Um, he always said she's a terrific mother. She loved her kids. They were She read books to them. Um, he said there's just no way the kind of person Andrea was that she would have ever done anything like this. Well, I agree. But she, then, then she she gets – she's sick. Like things happen. The mind is powerful. We talk about this all the time. Um, but he's frustrated. He loses all of his children. I mean how how difficult that has to be, right, at the hands of your own wife. You deal with that. 
but I, again, I just don't, I see a lot of blaming Andrea, a lot of blaming of psychiatrics, but nothing. And like going onto the stand saying, we made decisions together. Anything that she did or I said, she agreed right along with me. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe she felt like she couldn't speak up. Not sure. Right? Very true. All right. So I mentioned in part one, um, her very first psychiatrist, Arlene Starbranch, um, noted in a report, I like when people take notes because it's always important, things like this. She wrote in her report, quote, Andrea is talking of wanting off the medications. I mentioned this in part one. She wanted to get pregnant, right, and have more kids. So she writes, apparently patient and husband plan to have as many babies as nature allows. This will surely guarantee future psychotic depression. She knew. Which is why she stepped away. Now, I mentioned Michael Warnecke, right? Remember the spiritual advisor of yes. Andrea Rusty Yates? So he did several interviews after Andrea was arrested, and he said a few things that I want to mention. In one interview, he said he doesn't think his preaching against Satan and hell sent Andrea over the edge. He says, quote, I shared Jesus with them. Adding that he warned Russell Yates over and over again that Andrea and the children were in great need of his love. I hold him responsible for the drownings, but I also hold Andrea responsible. God knows what I shared with those people, he said. Oh, they're both responsible. There's no doubt. Uh, the couple, the Warnecke, said they will not be changing their ministry because of what happened. They said, quote, we're responsible for what we shared with them, which was the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not responsible for what someone does with what we say. And can I just point out, isn't the whole point of saying that is so they will walk away and do something with it? Right? Yeah. They're going to do something. You're, you're, you're telling them things and giving them, putting things in their head in order for them to do, take action. And that action is to follow your beliefs and your teachings. Yes. But... Words are powerful, and they can be deadly if they're told to the wrong person who isn't thinking the right way. Andrea Yates spend her, spends her days now talking about her kids and watching family home videos of them, Chris. That's what she does in her psychiatric hospital. She watches home videos. How did she get those? I think they let her have them. She's been there a long time. Hmm. It's like home now. She resides in Kerrville, Texas, at the Kerrville State Hospital. She's in a mental facility there. Although, Chris, she was committed to the mental facility um, when she, in 2006, she can undergo a review every year to see if she's competent to leave the facility. But she's 57 years old now, and every year she opts out to waive her right of review. Yeah, I, would, I was kind of figuring that. Her defense attorney, George Parnum, keeps in contact with her, and she sa he says that she's happy, and she's where she wants to be, and she's where she needs to be, and really, if she left, where would she go? What would she do? She also spends her time making cards and gifts in the craft room, and she anonymously sells them. Chris, the money goes to the Yates Children Memorial Fund, which was founded by Parnum and his wife and dedicated to women's mental health, particularly postpartum mental health. 
Babe, that's part two of Andrea Yates. That's it. Remember, mental health is just as important as your physical and emotional health. There are resources for those suffering in silence and for those that show the signs but feel like nobody is listening. All right, hon. Until next time, friends. Stay safe, have fun, and cheers to next time. Cheers.